Welcome back, HVAC On Air listeners. We are excited to be back here today. We are actually going to be kicking off our first What's New with Reg's official topic episode. So if you have not heard our inaugural episode around this topic, please feel free to go back and listen to that. We introduced Jennifer Butch, who is back with us again today. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. Um, And she'll give you the rundown of what we're doing with this particular edition. So with that, we'll go ahead and move forward today. Jennifer is actually going to take the lead on this episode, and she brought a guest with her. So let's get started. Thank you, Lindsay. So today we're going to look at refrigerants and where are we now? Where are we today with refrigerants? And last time we left off with the question, is it legal for me to charge my R22 system? But before we explore this and other questions, let me introduce our guest. Today we are joined by Dr. Rajan Rajendran. Rajan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, including your work with UNEP's Refrigerant Technical Options Committee? Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, everybody. This, um, first of all, let me thank you for having me as a guest on your show. You wanted me to introduce myself a little bit. Um, I actually head up the Helix Innovation Center in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, but in addition to that, I serve on many different committees and organizations representing Emerson, the HRI, the Alliance for Responsible Atmospheric Policy, NAFM, ASHRAE, and the Global Food Cold Chain Council, and so on. But the one that, Jennifer, you asked me about was the Refrigeration Technical Options Committee, or RTOC, as it's called. The actual name for that is Refrigeration, Air Conditioning, and Heat Pumps Technical Options Committee. What this is, is it's, you know, everybody here, in fact, later on um, in this uh, episode, we're going to talk about the Montreal Protocol. And everyone knows about the Montreal Protocol and how all the countries in the world signed on to that. So these countries are all, you know, when they they meet on a regular basis. In fact, there's a meeting coming up now in July that's going to happen virtually through virtual media. These countries, in order for them to develop policies and other things that they need for each of their respective countries, they need a technical body to advise them on all these matters. And so so they created what is called the Technology and Economic Assessment Panel, or TEAP, T-E-A-P is the acronym. This is an advisory body to the Montreal Protocol parties. And under TEAP, there are five committees. And one of those committees is what is called the Refrigeration, Air Conditioning, and Heat Pumps Technical Options Committee. And the job for this committee, which is made up of around 35 to 40 members, and they're, they're from all over the world. And the job of this committee is to write up all the different uh, technical options that are available for uh, transitioning out of CFCs and HCFCs to HFCs and increasingly to HFO and HFO blends and CO2 and propane and so on and so forth. So on this committee, Jennifer, I am the chair for one of the chapters, which is the commercial refrigeration chapter. And uh, I also serve as a member of the air conditioning and heat pump chapter as well. Wow. It's really an honor, I think, to have you with us today and to be able to explain to our listeners really the details that go into deciding, you know, what the options are and really evaluating those options. It's clearly not an easy task and quite cumbersome, and so we're really happy to have you with us today. Our listeners are probably 
familiar with the fact that R12 and R22 are no longer available in new equipment, specifically AC and refrigeration, but why did we phase out R12 and R22? This is a history lesson, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, this goes back to the 60s and 70s and uh, 1960s and 70s is what I'm talking about. During that time, there was a lot of research that was being done as to why there was gradual increase in the incidence of skin cancer around the world and also concerned that uh, the skin cancer might be increasing because of what's called uh, UV ultraviolet B uh, rays that are coming from the sun. There are lots of, there's lots of radiation that comes from the sun, as you all know. And uh, one of them, uh, one, one spectrum, if you will, is what is called the UVB rays. And these rays typically get filtered out. Most of them get filtered out. Some of them still come through. But a lot of it gets filtered out by what is called the ozone layer. Now, everybody knows that ozone is bad when it's down here. Um, you know, you, you keep hearing about smog and ozone and um, how it can affect your breathing and so on. But while ozone is bad here on Earth, ozone is not bad when it is at a certain level and doing what it's supposed to do. If you go back and look at the atmosphere above the Earth, there's, there's five layers. Second layer from the Earth is what's called the stratosphere. And it is in the stratosphere that you have this uh, layer of ozone circling the Earth like a bubble. This ozone is important for us, as I said, because it filters out the UVB rays and prevents skin cancer and lots of other things, bad things that could happen. Now, what was happening was... Over the years, when we were using CFCs primarily, the normal practice was to vent all these gases. The CFCs are actually being used in all kinds of things, you know, spray cans and for foam and for refrigeration, for air conditioning. Refrigeration and air conditioning wasn't a big deal, but it was mostly spray cans and foams and this and that, and people were using them without much attention being paid to what the effect of uh, venting these into the atmosphere was. Well, a lot of these chlorine molecules that are there in the CHC, the first C stands for chlorine. So this chlorine molecule would rise up in the atmosphere. They'd get up to the stratosphere, and there they would actually interact with the ozone and deplete the ozone. So this ozone depletion led to what is called the ozone hole, which is typically found over the Antarctic, and that ozone hole started getting bigger, and therefore, it started letting in more of the UVB radiation. So that's why when there was sufficient scientific evidence to show that this was what was going on, all the countries got together. And in 1987, they signed what is called the Montreal Protocol because the countries all met in Montreal, Canada. And they signed this document, which essentially all the countries agreed to phase out the use of CFCs and any of these chlorine and bromine-containing molecules in all these refrigeration and so on and so forth. So that's what it's all about. And that is where uh, R12, obviously, is a CFC, and R22 is an HCFC, and they were both part of these basket of gases that were targeted for uh, elimination altogether.
Okay, so with the signing of the uh, Montreal Protocol, can you explain the who, what, when, where, and why? Okay, wait, maybe I've spent too much time homeschooling my son lately. So seriously, <laughs> can you just explain how the phase-out works? What are the timelines and how does it impact countries maybe differently? Um, the phase-out was not clear cut-off date which applied to everybody. So the way it happened was essentially there were three groups of countries. The European Union countries decided to go first, and they executed a gradual step down. And in 2014, uh, I'm sorry, 2004, they declared that they would not have any new R22 equipment. So as of 2004, in Europe, no new R22 equipment was allowed. And then the other countries, the second group of countries, and we fall in that second group of countries, which is basically the United States, you know, are along with a few others. We basically stepped down a little bit slower than the European Union did. We banned new equipment, new R22 equipment in 2010. Now, the third group of countries, which is basically all of the other, uh, you know, the developing nations, if you will, uh, uh, you know, developing economies, these countries um, are, they have actually frozen their R22 production. And that happened back in 2013. But at this point in time, they've only taken two step downs and so they're right now at around 65% of whatever their baseline was. And they don't uh, completely eliminate, they don't go down to 0% until 2040. So they got 20 more years before they completely eliminate all R22 production. In the United States, we eliminated all R20 production as of this year. So there's no new R22 refrigerant being produced. So the only R22 that you will find on the market is our... Um, recycled or recovered and reclaimed R22 refrigerant. Okay, this, this is a perfect um, segue into last week's question, which was, is it still legal for me to charge my R22 system? When people look at this phase out of R22 or R12 and things like that, they always think that somehow it's no longer legal for me to use that piece of equipment. That's not true. If you go around and look, all over the world, actually, there's plenty of R12 equipment still being used. And there's plenty of R22 equipment still being used in our country here in the United States. It is not illegal to continue to use your R22 equipment. What you will be finding is it is illegal to put in new R22 equipment. So you cannot put anything new. So if you're putting in a new piece of equipment, it has to be a substitute for R22, depending on whatever the application is. If you have a leak or if you find that your uh, equipment needs additional charge, then you can still do that. You can still service, you can still repair, you can still recharge your existing R22 equipment, but you have to use only reclaimed refrigerant that you buy from an authorized agent. Or if you have your own R22, and that's what is called a recycle, meaning that you take it out of equipment that you retire, 
but then the ownership still stays with you. And so you take that R22 and you put it into another piece of equipment that you own. So uh, that too is uh, permitted. So uh, it isn't illegal to continue to use R22. It isn't illegal to service, but it is illegal to put a new R22 equipment. All right. So over the last 10 years, we've significantly reduced the amount of CFC and HCFC, such as R12 and R22, produced and consumed, what has been the impact of this phase-out? Good question. You know, one of the things about science is that uh, there's always a cause and effect, right? So when we realized that the cause for the ozone layer depletion was chlorine, and that came from the CFCs and HCFCs, and therefore we went ahead and phased it out, which means that the amount of CFCs and HCFCs getting into the atmosphere is much less today than it was 20 years ago. So that has to have an impact, and yes, it has had an impact. Measurements of the ozone layer are constantly being made. NASA does this on a regular basis. The data shows that the ozone hole is actually healing and the ozone layer is building up. From time to time, you will see the ozone hole getting bigger or getting smaller, and these are all just natural perturbations. In fact, more recently, Jennifer, there was a report about an ozone hole being detected about the Arctic, and that came about because of some big uh, weather uh, pattern changes um, across, uh, across the globe. So, um, yes, um, you will see some things like that happening, and, um, uh, but, but outside of that, I, I would say that uh, the um, data is very clear that uh, the ozone hole is uh, repairing itself and the ozone layer is building back up, and that should all be good for us. Rajan, I want to thank you for joining us this week, and I look forward to chatting with you again. I think the next episode we're going to continue our discussion on refrigerants and maybe look into the Kigali Amendment and mm -hmm. what that means for us. So thank you okay. for joining us this thank week. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. All right, and we always end the podcast with a question. And so this week's question is, why are HFCs not a good permanent solution? Thank you so much, Jennifer. We really appreciate you coming on the show and really taking these complex topics, making them just more digestible for folks to understand. And we want to thank Rajan for joining us as well. It's been an honor to have you on the show. We're excited that you're participating and going through these topics with us. One of the things that I wanted to ask before we end, if either of you have any suggestions, you know, if, if listeners want to dive a little bit more into this topic, are there other resources that are available that you would suggest they listen to or, or find online or other resources that you think would just help with this topic in general if they're looking for more detail? You know, the E360, that's a webinar series that uh, we've done. It's uh, been around for many years, and I think Jennifer and I did a webinar just back, I think as recent as March, where we touched upon all these topics. And that's pretty much uh, one or two every other month. So you may want to get onto the Emerson website and look for the E360 webinars. In addition to that, there's obviously plenty of resources out there on the web that you can find, but uh, one of the more um, useful documents would be this RTOC report that I mentioned at the very beginning of the show. You know, if you go to the TEEP website, uh, which is a technology and economic assessment panel, um, if you type in EEAP and RTOC reports, 
the most recent version is the one that was published in 2018. And there is a PDF copy of that available, so over 100 plus pages long, about 14 to 15 chapters. It covers every t everything that you may find interesting regarding refrigerants and the various uses and applications that we put it to. And there's tons and tons of information in there that you might find useful. More than that, it, there's also a lot of references. So if the data there is not sufficient, there's plenty of references for you to uh, pick up from there and, uh, you know. I think that covered it. You know, the E360 is the Emerson platform where we've talked a lot about these regulations, the Montreal Protocol, et cetera. So I'd recommend checking out that resource as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for being on here. We will actually put some links to your suggestions online with this podcast, and we'll close it out until next time. So thank you again. And as always, listeners, you can follow us on ac-heatingconnect.com as well as on our social media channels at Copeland Scroll.